everybody, and welcome to the Story Hill Equipping Series. My name is Brandon Stokes. I'm a pastor here at Story Hill, and with us today, we have Aaron Rogers, our lead pastor. Hey guys, it's fun to be here. Yeah, Aaron, thanks so much for jumping in with us today. We're starting episode one of our series, How to Read the Bible. Hmm. Such an important question that we're all dealing with at one time or another. Today, specifically, we're going to look at what is the Bible? What better place to start than asking the question, what is this thing we're called to read? And so as we look at that today, we're going to be looking at where did the Bible come from? How did we get this collection of different books and different authors into one thing that we read and know today? What do we do with translations? How do we know what to read and where to start and what we're supposed to use with that information? Uh, we're going to talk about why context is so important in our understanding and, and interpretation of Scripture. And then finally, what do we bring to the table? that sometimes can skew our perspective of getting to a healthy interpretation and understanding of Scripture. All awesome questions. I'm excited to, to dive into this. Thanks for having me. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. First things first, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the series for today. God, thank you so much for your greatness and for loving us so much to leave us your word and your truth to guide us as we work our way through this immensely complicated life. Lord, help us today to read your word, to gain your truth out of it, and Lord, and to set aside all of the things in our hearts that might, you know, sinfully distract us from hearing your word. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the love and grace that you have for us each and every day. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brandon, thanks so much for having me. I actually brought a video, and if you're listening through audio podcast right now, uh, we're going to have some visuals throughout our time together in this first episode. So even in the video, you can hear everything clearly just as fine. But if you want to watch that, you can always head over to our YouTube channel. But this video is something that I have used for well over a decade now. It's from a Steelhouse Media Productions, uh, a group that used to make videos for like youth groups and stuff. And it's a little cheesy, and I kind of love it. Cheesy. Hey, every good hamburger has a slice of cheese, right? And so I want us to watch this. It's about four and a half minutes long, but it helps distinctly answer some of these beginning questions of where, how did we get to this? So we're going to hit play, watch this, we'll be right back. Check out. The Word. You've known of it your entire life. A book that sits on your shelf sometimes granting wisdom and sometimes gathering dust. But can you trust what you have is actually accurate? You're talking about a book written thousands of years ago, before computers or printing presses. How can you be sure you have the words God wants you to have? Many respected ancient writings were only loosely based on facts, with the historical writers often getting key dates and locations absolutely wrong. That's because many of the writers did not live in the countries they were writing about. Some weren't even living at the time of the events they recorded. Not so with the Bible. Scripture was recorded by those who lived in that time and experienced what they recorded firsthand. Moses, for example, was there when God gave the Ten Commandments. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were there and experienced the life of Jesus. So there is no doubt that what was written down was historically accurate because those who wrote it lived there at the time. But what about the handwritten copies that came later? 
Doesn't it seem that over time as one writer copied the word for future generations, that words and potentially entire passages would get rephrased and perhaps even omitted? How do you know the Bible you read is the Bible that was originally written? Wait! To answer that, you must go back to the way scripture was hand-copied into manuscripts. For centuries, three groups of people took the care of the Old Testament scriptures as seriously as life and death. They had strange names like Sophorim and Masoretes, and they were obsessed with the intricate minutiae, requiring a system of double checks and triple checks to ensure extreme accuracy in any reproduced copy of scripture. If one mistake, even one letter, was found to be inaccurate, the entire copy was destroyed. So, you can be confident that copies were made accurately. But how do these ancient manuscripts compare to the printed Bible we have today? In early 1947, a goat got himself lost in the caves off the coast of the Dead Sea. A young boy searching for the goat found jars filled with ancient Old Testament manuscripts. Scholars confirmed that when these earlier Old Testament manuscripts dated 125 BC were compared to later manuscripts dated 916 AD, the Dead Sea Scrolls were identical, word for word, in more than 95% of the text. The variation of 5% pertained almost exclusively to spelling variations. In other words, in over a thousand years, the only changes were in spelling and did not affect in any manner the meaning and intent of those scriptures. But what about the New Testament? Well, scholars evaluate the reliability of ancient literature by two standards. One, the time interval between the original and the earliest copies. And two, how many manuscripts are available. For instance, scholars deem Homer's Iliad of utmost accuracy because the time gap between the original and the earliest copies is a mere 400 years, and there are 643 copies in existence. In the same manner, Caesar's Gallic Wars is considered accurate even though its time span is a thousand years with only 10 copies. The New Testament, on the other hand, has no equal in these two criteria. No historic writings even begin to come close. The span between the writing of the Bible and the earliest copy is only 50 years, and nearly 25,000 manuscripts survive to this day. Take that, Homer and Caesar. But why? Why is this accuracy so important? Because, in effect, it means God is saying, I protected my written word to you all these years so that you could hold it in your hand, read it, and know that it is an accurate revelation of me. I want you to know me and my ways, so I have given you my reliable word. And that is the final word. Okay, thank you so much for watching that uh, and listening to it. I know that it was a little cheesy. God's voice, so powerful. That is awesome. Uh, the video is like 10 years old, but it's so succinct in its telling of the information and the facts of how we got this book, the Word of God. And the fact is that it's trusted and it stood the test of time. Yeah, it's something we take for granted so often, like it just showed up. Right. And that video points out that like, it's taken thousands of years of dedicated hard work to be sure. So we have the most accurate 
Bible. Yeah, Greek apostle. When I was younger, I pictured there was one book in one room, and the next author came in and wrote and yeah. turned the page, and the next author at some point came in and did the next part. And this is Book in the Veil, the most creative. <laughs> it's all so, crazy. Well, so that, that sums up what the Bible is in, yeah. in the sense of how we got it, and it is the book itself. But what's actually inside the Bible? How yeah. is it the Bible that yeah. So, as you open God's Word, it's comprised of different genres of literature. So, much like you would have uh, a love letter from you know, a spouse or something like that, or a cookbook, right, or a TV guide, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is information, but it, you read them differently. And that's the same thing inside of God's Word. So, if you're watching, you'll see this graph on the screen. If you're listening, so there are, are six genres of biblical literature. They are law, history, wisdom and poetry, prophecy, gospel, and letters. And inside of each of those is simply a literary style that's written in a way to communicate information. To give you a quick example, uh, sheep are mentioned in the Old Testament with sacrifices and what to do with those animals. And then Jesus in the New Testament mentions how the church is the sheep and we're the flock. But then right in the middle, the Song of Songs, it talks about how his lover's teeth are like sheep. And it's just strange poetic imagery. All of them are a little different. Usually the same animal should be read in the way that they're supposed to be read. Right, and it's so important that before you begin in that part of Scripture, you identify, what am I reading? Right. Is this poetic language that I need to see the different allegories and, and uh, poetic devices woven throughout this passage? Or is this a strict recount of a historical event that exactly. I need to read and go, well, that's a thing that happened. Right. Yeah, and so we want to provide these kind of tools for you as you learn how to read the Bible because it influences the way you open it and study it. Right. And so a graph like this is going to be tremendously important to keep alongside you in your Bible studies. Yeah, you can look down and go, okay, well, I'm in Leviticus. This is law. This is a law book, so I need to read it accordingly. Exactly. Yeah, great. So we've looked at what the Bible is, what are all the different divisive parts of it, how do you divide it out and interpret it. Another really uh, important thing we have to get to is what is the translation of Scripture, and, and how do we read that together? Yeah. Right, so that's a very brief, yeah, quick overview. Very quick overview of what the different types of Scripture are that we find inside of the Bible. I want to focus on uh, what the different translations are, yeah. because that's going to be the next big step. Of once you've understood how the Bible is composed, you've got to decide what Bible am I going to read? Yeah, as a pastor, I've been asked that question so many times, like which one is the right one or which mm-hmm. one should I choose? And we understand that there are a lot of options, dozens of options. Very confused. Uh, to note, the most important thing to remember is that our English translations are not the original Bible. Those are the Hebrew manuscripts, the mm-hmm. Greek, the Aramaic. What we have is a translation, right? It's been translated from the original language to what we have today. And not every word equals the same. I can say, I love burrito, and I love Brandon, and I love my wife, but they those have different meanings, and you can kind of understand the different context. But in the Greek language, for example, they actually have different words right. for all three of those in that word love, of which we translate love. And so using love in English, it's important to be able to know and look back and go, well, this was actually what they were trying to insinuate, this type of love right. that they were writing about in the Greek or the Hebrew. 
Right. So let's do a quick overview of the translation. So if you're watching, this is called the Bible Translation Continuum. And it's not every translation, every English translation. It's just a few that we kind of handpick. And you can see on the left, these are translations that are thought, excuse me, a word for word. This is where there is a Greek word or Hebrew word, and they try to match it up as quickly as possible, or excuse me, as clearly as possible to an English word that makes the most sense. Sometimes it can be a little challenging to read because that's their goal throughout that. And then on the far right of this spectrum, you see translations that are like a thought for thought, where they take the idea of that original language and then translate it into something that's more readable or understandable. It's like a paraphrase of their own words, right. of the meaning of the original. Right, and you can even see on here on the far right is the message, this MSV. Uh, this is a paraphrase. It's over on the far right for a reason. It's actually not a real translation from the original text, uh, but it is just a paraphrase. It's someone's thoughts on how to uh, generally convey the truths of Scripture. And there can be some difficulty in that and some challenges and even some pitfalls. Uh, to quickly illustrate that, let's jump into Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It actually, uh, in the ESV, starts in the middle of a sentence. Right. Which is really important to remember that in the original languages, there weren't numbers exactly. spread out through the verses we have created. We created that as a reference point. And so don't get hung up on the numbers. Again, the idea is they're trying the very best they can to put what the Greek said into the most equal sign possible of what the English says. Right. So to give you this kind of spectrum, I've chosen six uh, translations of the same verse. I'm only going to highlight a couple of those. You can read them if you're watching, if you're listening, you can kind of go back. But in ESV in Romans 3.25, it says, Whom God put forward is a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then you can see in the NIV, if you're looking, it's even a much longer of a sentence. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So in ESV, we have this propitiation by his blood. In the NIV, we have this sacrifice of atonement. Same thoughts. Same thoughts. Different English words. Exactly. And then you can kind of see how broad the thought for thought is in the message paraphrase where it says God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. So very different kind of language. And I think it's an important reminder as you're studying the Bible and you're reading, we don't want to completely forsake by any means the original text. They're extremely important. Every word we read in the Bible God knit specifically to be in there. Yeah. And so the danger is if we stray too far away from Lord the Word and get too far into thought for thought, we are at danger of missing some of those unique things that God will bring for us. That's why our church has chosen to use this ESV right. as our primary source because it's exactly like perfectly in the middle, not perfectly, but it's in the middle of this word for word, thought for thought. And I would admit, I even use the NLT, the New Living Translation. When I listen to the Bible, I love, I love hearing the way it's read because it is you know, more of a thought for thought. Regardless, you're reading the Bible even if you're struggling through which translation. There's an option for you. Find something that works and you enjoy the read. Yeah. Or ask a trusted friend to stay in God's Word. Let's continue on. Yeah. I feel like that does a pretty good job at a very broad stroke picture of what the Bible in its essence is. That it's a collection of all these different types of literary works put together to be God's Word for us today. Yeah, painstakingly. Painstakingly. 
translated from the original language is yes. Yes. And, and so to get where we are today, one of the first things you brought in in the conversation is we talked about this. Like, listen, we have to talk about context. Yeah. Yeah. Context, context, context. So much so that I am a firm believer that context determines meaning, it determines how you read the text uh, because as a 30-something-year-old in the United States of America, uh, the things in here were not addressed personally to me. In fact, they span the course of 1,500 years over three different continents. And There's not a Dear Aaron Rodgers section. No, there's not. It was written to different peoples at different times, different cultures, and there's a, a ton that separates us through language and culture and time and all those things from some of the aspects of God's Word to us today. That's why context is so important. So when we just open up God's Word and you know just pick a verse to read, we have to remember not only does it come in a literary style, uh, but it also comes into a context that is specific that shapes the way we read it. That scripture is not all written about you, but it is written intimately for you. Yeah. So to open up to a passage that says, and then cut the lamb in half and set it on fire, that's very hard for our context to wrap our brain around. But that passage speaks specifically towards the relationship that God is setting with God. Absolutely. Their context affects how we read scripture. Yeah. So let me give us a quick example of this. Uh, and, and by this example, I don't want to uh, poke at anybody, but this is literally just to illustrate the point. Uh, some, many of you may know this verse in the Old Testament. It's from uh, the prophet of Jeremiah. It comes in chapter 29, verse 11. Uh, you might have even seen this on a coffee cup. Uh, it says, "For I know that I excuse me. For I know the plans I have for you." Mm-hmm. And it goes on. This is the Lord's declaration: plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I have heard lots of people quote that and personalize that verse. Mm-hmm. And there is there is truth inside of that. But when you begin to look at the verses before and you look at the verses after you begin to see a picture that it's not necessarily the, the I and the you are, yes, the I is God, but the you is not you, random space. Mm-hmm. So let me draw this point out. If you look at the larger context, if you're watching, you'll see on the screen several of the verses that come before and things like that. If you're listening, I'll just read them. And it begins in the very first part of chapter 29 where Jeremiah says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem, so there we have a city, to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is after King Zephaniah. Then it goes on with these very specific people and situations. Brandon, I don't see my name, the United States, Lawrence, Kansas, not any of those kind of things. And I don't want to be too cheeky about this. That's not my intention. My point is, we are not listed in here. And so this, I, like, for I have the plans for you, right? This was written to a group of people at a different time and different place. Now, is there principalizing truth in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
but we don't want to misquote that and think that, that we are literally the you that it's talking about. For example, the context speaks to the faithfulness and goodness of God and His character. Now, God's character is unchanging as we see throughout Scripture. So for us, we look and see what God did for them specifically. God is also willing to do for us yep. in our own way, in our own context. You're right, right. One more example. This comes from Matthew chapter 18. You may have heard this. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. I've heard people quote this a lot in reference to, well, God's with us because we're together. But if you actually look at, at the whole context, it actually has to do with brothers and sisters that are sinning and you trying to help correct them and love them. And there's this idea of binding and loosing, which we're not going to get into. But it's saying that if Randy and I are together and we're trying to love a brother or sister in Christ and bring them back to Jesus and draw them, then Jesus is with us in that effort to pray for our brothers in Christ. Yeah. So, again, context determines Right. So, right. I love that. Context is tremendously important. We have to understand what they were going through and what season they were in so that we can learn how to apply that to our life. But there's also another part of that, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So, we also bring things to Scripture when we read them. And I know that can sound like a funny concept, but what do you bring to the Bible uh, as if you're supposed to bring something? But the truth is we subconsciously bring things to Scripture when we read it. One of those is known as pre-understanding. It's this idea that you already have things that you understand based on your culture, based on, we'll, we'll talk about some of those examples, based on how you were raised, based on your race, based on ethnicity. There's so many different varieties of those that influence the way that you read Scripture. To give a very uh, almost uh, silly example, um, some of you may know the story of Jonah. Um, he's an Old Testament prophet, and you may already be thinking of Jonah and the whale, mm-hmm. right? Because often those things are associated together. And if you have any uh, experience going to church or as a, as a young child or if you're a parent with small children, and you've talked about Jonah and the whale, uh, we're putting a, a picture up on the screen of this a cartoon of this uh, pretty happy whale. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like there's some other fish hanging around, and uh, he's in water. But Jonah is inside this whale, perfectly. Um, he's got some wiggle room. Yeah, he's got some wiggle room. Uh, this picture, he's he's kneeling. Hair is dry. Hair is dry. His clothes are dry. He's in there. Um, and he has room to kneel and to pray about his situation as if he had this space inside of this whale. Yeah, here's another example. I, I like this one even more. It's a picture similar, but there's a little bit of anguish yeah. on his face. Maybe, maybe he is not as happy as the last picture. Um, now, the reason I'm giving these examples is because nowhere in the story of Jonah does it tell us in the scriptures that he had this like wonderful space inside of this whale, uh, of which we'll see in scripture. It actually never even says whale. This concept, I would argue, comes from Pinocchio. Yeah. There's this awesome scene yeah. where Pinocchio and his maker get swallowed by this gigantic whale. And if you're watching, you see this picture, if you're listening, it's a picture of them inside 
the belly of this giant whale, and you can see the vertebrae, you can see the ribs, and he's in there in his little his bowel just trembling everywhere. <laughs> and so, uh, because of this movie, it's given us influence today of like, well, when I picture Jonah inside the belly of the whale or fish, he's safe, he's comfortable, right? He has a lamp if he wants it, or even a, a, he got out his journal. And that's he right, right, but. We can see from chapter one that it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. A great fish, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Have you ever seen the inside of a fish? That's not great. It's not great. Not a place I want to spend three days. It is not a place I want to be trapped up in there. So again, that's an example of pre-understanding. Another one is culture. Uh, There's this idea of God the Father. It's all throughout Scripture. Some of us have very different opinions. Some of it good, some of it very, very bad, some of it toxic. And depending on your experience with your earthly father, it can give influence in how you read and understand when Scripture says God the Father. So mm-hmm. culture, your own culture, can influence what you bring to the, the Scripture. Uh, a last example is foundational beliefs. And here's just three. The idea of creation, the idea of the Bible that we've been talking about, the idea of Jesus. That he was fully God, that he was fully man, that he actually died, that he actually defeated death and rose again. If you're coming to Scripture saying, well, I don't believe in creation, or I don't believe that God's Word is infallible or perfect, or I don't believe in things about Jesus, then those foundational beliefs are going to influence the way that you view Scripture. And so we have to identify and grow in our self-awareness about, well, what am I bringing to God's Word as I hear these things? Because I need to be honest about that and confess that and let God's Word be the thing that influences me and not the other way around. For sure, yeah. Bringing in our own predisposed beliefs can actually give us an inaccurate picture of what God's trying to tell us. It can. It's dangerous when we, even if we're consciously, try to make Scripture fit our own predisposition of what we want to think of the Scripture instead of allowing it to shape us and change how we think. Yeah. Cool. So we've covered a lot of different topics today. As we start wrapping things up in this first episode, what are some final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Yeah, thank you guys for clicking in and watching and listening to this last half hour. Uh, we know that we've covered some academic things and some specific things and uh, given some you know, warnings and some encouragements, all those things. The most important thing that we have to remember as we talk about how to read the Bible is that it's completely centralized around the person of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that we want to start with, we want to leave you with, we want to always talk about, because the Bible is actually just one amazing story from beginning to end, all centered around who Jesus is and his redemption of mankind through his sacrifice and defeat of death and his promise that he gives us. It's amazing, this redemptive story, this rescue mission that God went on throughout generations and millennia to get to this place to where we now know the name of Jesus. And so we want to encourage you, stay connected to God's Word. Use some of these tools that we started in this first episode to draw you back and let it make you hungrier to reopen His Word and to dig back into it, uh, all of which point every single time to the kingship and the majesty of Jesus because 
he's it. He's worth it, and that's why we do everything that we, we do. Yeah. And so, no matter if you're one of our church members or if you clicked in uh, and we don't know your name, we just want to say thank you. And we want to connect your story to the story of God. And so, if there's any way that we can do that, please let us know. Thank you, guys. Aaron, thanks for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. Guys, this is what we hope to do just equipping through you, is to be sure that we're putting conversations and tools and resources in your hands so that you feel confident and comfortable to be exactly who God has called you to be. So check in on our next episode as we give you some resources to continue this conversation on not just what is the Bible, but how do we read it? What do we do? We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.